0: By way of reminder, listen if you would to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 to 31 and then jump over to chapter 2 and read verses 15 to 25. So from Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'll jump over to chapter 2, verse 15. It says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Men gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. The story of the creation of mankind is really a story of a husband and wife being called by God to multiply and take dominion together for the glory of God. Each has a distinct role. Each has distinct responsibilities, but they work together in a complementary fashion to accomplish the purposes for which God created them. Male and female, He created them. They were created to be one flesh in marriage, inseparable. When asked about marriage and divorce, Jesus quoted Genesis, and He says in Matthew 19, verse 6, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So, if we put all of this from Genesis and Jesus' words there about Genesis, if we put it all together with what we have seen so far in our study of the book of Proverbs, the husband and wife are designed and ordained by God to build a, a heritage, to build a godly family legacy together. Keep that truth in mind as we work through today's passage In Proverbs chapter 31. So, this is where we're going to be today. Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31. Proverbs 31, verse 10 says this An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. In the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. He sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates." Let's stop and pray. Lord, I pray that you would um, give us what we need today. That you would feed us from your word. I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord. That we might behold wonderful things about your law. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your spirit to help us to understand. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So over this last month or so, we've done this sort of brief series looking at some various passages, mostly in Proverbs, and I've kind of, I've called it family matters. Um, because we've been looking at this whole idea of family relationships and, and even legacy building in, in what seems to be an increasingly hostile world, a world that is especially hostile to the biblical concept of the family. So a few times in this series over the last few weeks, I've mentioned the phrase, high calling of a homemaker, and I hope that that has stood out to you. I hope that that rings in your ears, and today we're going to talk about it some. But we need to start really with what we're pushing back against So here's a question for you to consider as we think of these things. How does the world view motherhood? How does the world view motherhood? Or for that matter, how does the world view wifehood? And even as you consider your answer, I should jump in and say that that it's actually a mixed view. It's even a, a contradictory view here's what I mean. The world, especially driven by social media, um, the world loves pregnancy announcements, right? The world loves maternity photo shoots. They love gender reveal parties and weddings. Weddings are a huge business. And yet the world is also doing its level best to destroy both marriage and and family, all of those same things that they claim to love. If someone were to describe the world's view of motherhood and, and wifehood, one of the words that would probably be brought up is equality or, or equity. See, the world is pushing a satanic agenda that says that men and women are not inherently different. That both marriage and children are disposable and usually inconvenient unless, unless they're used in such a way that gives power to the one that the Bible says is the weaker vessel. But it's actually worse than we think because Satan doesn't love women. He hates them. That's why he's using the world to, to blur and even androgynize sex or gender, and the distinctions therein. And not just, not just in clothing, not just in the toy section at Target, not just in sports, but even in the workplace, where women are increasingly seen as preferable to men in, in all kinds of vocations, where in order to do that job effectively, they actually need to be seen as more manly and more masculine. See, the the controversy of women in combat, that didn't actually start with women in combat. In fact, let's back up. I, I don't want to lose you, but listen to this offensive passage of Scripture. It's First Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. The world hates this. Paul writes, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Sometimes we, we read that and we almost feel like we need to apologize for it. But consider, consider the opposite character qualities of the woman that's described there. The opposite of that woman is one who is attention-seeking, one who is unrestrained and even we could say loud. Loud. And by loud, I mean, I mean boisterous, speaks up to selfishly demand her own way. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 11 says of, of that kind of woman, she is loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. And so in this sense, Satan loves loud women, women who fight for equality by, by constantly putting down men, whether it's her husband or someone else's husband, her pastor, her elders, her employer, whoever. And by loves, when I say Satan loves women like that, I really mean that he loves to use those loud women to destroy God's good institutions of marriage, the family, and the church. Now, to be clear, he also uses weak and apathetic men he also uses loud and abusive men as well as any other thing at his disposal to destroy anything God has called good. So I'm not just picking on the ladies today. <laughs> We're going to a specific place, Proverbs 31. See, there are plenty of men who are also being used by the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places to tear down the family, to tear down the church... But our daughters and our wives are very specific targets. And in the name of equality and equity, they are being sought after. They are being fed lies and they are being destroyed. The devil working through and in conjunction with the world, is focusing all of the combined efforts of the world, the flesh, and the devil, it seems, on eliminating God's design. Male and female, He created them. He's doing this not only by having men dominate women's sports, or eliminating the perceived need of fathers in a family, but also by bringing girls and women into into certain roles and even professions that have histor- historically been seen as being reserved for men. So, think here of soldiers, of law enforcement, of personal security, other like professions, even the clergy. Frequently seen, these professions that are frequently seen as either physically demanding jobs, but really they're jobs that bring with them a real authority. And so am, am I saying that women shouldn't do certain jobs like being a roofer, for example, or working with concrete? Not really. What I am saying is that the world, doing the work of Satan, continues to tell women to be masculine while at the same time telling men that their toxic masculinity is the source of all kinds of problems. So please, just be more feminine. But as Christians... As Christians, we need to know what the Bible actually teaches about these things. Now, I've said some pretty strong statements so far, but let me tell you that the Bible portrays women in general and wives particularly, particularly in this passage, as strong, wise, dignified, industrious, excellent, and blessed. We're not going to go too far into this today as we look at Proverbs 31, but this this final section of the book of Proverbs is actually structured poetically. It's an acrostic, actually. Um, As it was originally written in Hebrew, each verse begins the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You need to keep in mind that this is actually poetry, okay? So keep that in mind. We also remember that the, the book, the book of Proverbs, especially um, the first several chap- first nine or so chapters, but really all of the book of Proverbs, is written as a father passing down to his son the collected wisdom of the generations of his ancestors. And so, so this here is the grand summation of that. This is everything. Remember the acrostic? The Hebrew alphabet? This is everything from A to Z that a young man should look for in a wife from his father's point of view. That's what's going on here. Um, I read this week a story of uh, a woman who was using a, a Christian dating website, and many of the men would ask her, as they would start to interact on this website, they would say, are you a Proverbs 31 woman? I don't know how do you say no? I don't know how you answer that. But after several guys asked her that same question, she finally started to reply with, yes, are you a Proverbs chapters 1 through 30 man? Well, as poetry, this also kind of builds in a couple of ways as it goes through. And The first thing I want to point out is seen really in her relationship with her husband. It begins with his trust of her in verse 11. Then down in verse 23, we see that, that, that she gives him kind of a, a gravitas in the community. And so he praises her in verse 28. Their relationship builds together. But, this, but it, also, it also builds in her, in her skills and her accomplishments as well. So we see in the, in the first half, really verses 13 to 19, she generates income for the household, which results in, beginning in verse 20 and down through 27 especially, it results in her generosity and further industriousness, further hardworking in, um, in building towards the family economy. And then one more point about this being Poetry. Several uh, commentaries that I was looking at over the last couple of weeks see this section of Proverbs as very similar to ancient um, heroic poems, that is, poems that that recount a, a hero's mighty deeds, usually in battle. That fact means something. The fact that this is structured like a heroic poem of old, that means something. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. As Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And one of the ways in which we wage war on this present evil age is by following God's pattern of family and household life that we see set in Scripture. So the family is under attack. So marriage and, and gender roles, and gender is not even a very good word, sex roles are under attack? Then gird up your loins with the truth of the Bible regarding how the family is to live and to operate and be ordered. So, as we consider applying all of this wisdom, all of the wisdom given to sons as they work to become men, or the the wisdom that is passed from one generation to another, really all of Proverbs should be able to be summarized in, in Proverbs 24, verse 27, which says this, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house, and after that, build your house. So the idea is that the young husband has established his household on a sound foundation. In other words, he's ready and he knows what he's going to do to support his family and to build a heritage. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he has his future all mapped out. Doesn't mean that he's graduated from college and grad school and now that he's 35, he's ready to move out of moms and settle down. It means that he's put some thought into these things. And his parents have helped him think about the cost of a family. Not just the material cost, but what it takes to raise a family, to establish a household of faith. But also, his parents have taught him about homeownership and debt and savings and all of the things associated with adulting, as they say which is not a real word, being a grown-up. It means that if he already has a wife, that she'll be able to settle in and thrive, that they will be able to work together to build the house, to establish a household of faith. And that's how this passage starts, really, by addressing her value. Her value. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Listen to that again. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Now, the ESV, the English Standard Version that I use here, um, it it translates this as an excellent wife, that first line. But the Hebrew word for excellent there can actually be translated as virtuous or valiant, and it literally means competent strength. That's what it means competent strength. And throughout the Old Testament, it's generally used to refer to heroes and warriors. Remember, I said this is like a heroic poem. So, for example, the same word um, for excellent or a competent strength, it's used in Exodus 18.21. And in that passage, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is giving Moses advice for choosing leaders for the newly redeemed nation of Israel. And he says this. He says, moreover, look for able, that's the word, able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Able men, men of competent strength, excellent men. This hints at the idea of um, kind of membership in a select group of people. Moses should choose elite men to help him lead the nation. So a father would say to his son, so my son, you should also choose a similar type of woman to be your wife, to help lead your household. He starts off there by asking a question. An excellent or virtuous wife, who can find? Who can find? The answer to that question isn't, no one can find a wife like that. That's not the answer to the question. In fact, she has been found by her husband, or rather, we could put it this way, she has been given to him as a gift from God. Back in chapter 19, verse 14, Proverb 19 says this, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And God, God gives his people good gifts as an answer to their prayers. James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But her value, the value of this excellent, valiant, strong wife, her value isn't isn't simply found in her rarity. Who can find a wife like that? Only a few. Her value isn't found simply in her rarity or scarcity. Or even that she is a good and perfect gift from the Lord. It goes even further. Because it then says the heart of her husband trusts in her. That's a remarkable statement to find in the Bible. That's a remarkable statement to find in the Bible. Do you know why? Because Scripture repeatedly warns against trusting in anyone or anything except God Himself. Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9 says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Psalm 20 verse 7, similarly, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that type of thing is all over the Bible. But the reason that she is trusted is because she is a gift from God. And that, that, that exception that exception to the, to the rule actually elevates the, the excellent, the valiant wife to the highest level of, of both spiritual and physical competence in her role. Can you see the value of, of this wife to her husband? It, it goes like this Trust in God first and foremost. Trust in God, first and foremost, and pray to Him and ask for an excellent wife, or that you would be an excellent wife. And when the Lord provides an answer to your prayer, trust the wife the Lord gives you, and after that, comparatively speaking, trust no one. (laughs) Trust your wife, men. And after that, besides trusting in the Lord and trusting in your wife, don't trust anybody. This claim in these verses, that implies a a solid and godly relationship between husband and wife, doesn't it? It it implies that God is at the center of their marriage. It it means that in battle, this, this this valiant wife, she continues to prove herself to be excellent, to be valiant, to be trustworthy, to be competently strong, to be able means that she's not complaining about him behind his back, even to her mom or her best friends. She wants him to succeed. She is constantly praying for him to succeed, to prosper. She supports his endeavors while lovingly telling him the truth. Listen, the the heart of the husband who trusts his wife, the heart of the husband who trusts his wife listens to her feedback when she says things like, no, I'm not sure we should buy that. (laughs) He listens to her feedback when she says, no, I don't think you should pursue that business or that investment opportunity or that job. He listens to his wife when she says, you're being an idiot. Stop it. And when she does that lovingly. It doesn't mean that he always just does what she says, but that he listens and values her feedback above all others. And on that point, I cannot overemphasize verse 12 enough. Verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. He has to trust that. He trusts that. That word good, she does him good, that can be such a generic word, right? But it's defined really by the rest of this. It's defined by all the work that she does in the next verses 13 to 27 for the rest of the chapter practically. So let's look at her work. The first half, verses 13 to 19, the first half of this section lists the contribution that an excellent wife makes to the family economy. So it's it's really these these verses 13 to 19. Let Let me read these again. Verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. So let's face it, building a, a legacy or a heritage is expensive, right? Frankly, buying a home, raising a family is incredibly expensive. It's not getting any cheaper. There are many ways to do good in this sense, the work that is listed here. Some wives, excellent wives, might produce an income either by, by working outside the home or starting some kind of small business, while others might, might redu- work to reduce or even eliminate some of the household expenses. And if you've been married for a while, you've noticed that those things are likely to change and develop over the years. So, for example, when a, when a couple is just starting out, they might need two incomes or even just a supplement to his income. But we understand that things often change when the kids come along, right? And when the kids are little, the work and the contribution that mom brings to the family, to the family economy, so to speak, are different than when the kids have grown. But look at this example here that um, I almost said the Apostle Paul, the writer of Proverbs, gives us. Um, verses 13 to 15 this wife produces clothing from scratch. And then she makes enough that she's able to import some foreign delicacies. Maybe like a little milk chocolate from Pennsylvania. Or a small block of French cheese. doesn't say. In our day, anyone can kind of simply go to the grocery store and buy all kinds of different foods. That's not really the point. The point here is that she works hard to meet the needs of her family. That she feeds them, and in so doing, she also generously blesses them even with foreign treats sometimes. But notice the character traits of this woman. She has a genuine willingness and she works with diligence. The the principle here isn't something along the lines of, oh, wife's place is in the kitchen. That's not what this is saying. But rather that she is willing and eager to work hard for her family in whatever way is best for her family. See, see, the world, right, the world laments women taking time off from their career pursuits in order to raise a family. The world sees children as a career setback. But the Bible presents this kind of legacy building as a team effort between a husband and a wife with distinct roles and responsibilities, And notice how the wife, she actually grows and advances in this. Pick it up in verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. The fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is valuable or profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. So not only is she willing and hardworking, but she's also savvy and wise and strong. And that strength there in verse 17, that's a, that's a prepared strength. That phrase about the lamp not going out in verse 18, that's actually a metaphor for endurance. Endurance. See, we have a, we have a similar kind of figure of speech. Um, we say that someone is burning a candle at both ends. And when we usually say that, we mean it in a negative way, um, meaning that you'll burn out eventually. But this lamp image here, the lamp burning at night, it's actually used positively. It means she's always working. She's always busy. She's always accomplishing something for the benefit of the household, her household, that she loves, that she is willing to work hard for, that she is diligent to provide for. One of the characteristics that really undergird all of this is that she she delights in doing these things. See, the, the Proverbs 31 woman, she's clearly not the kind of repressed, suffocated woman that the world claims that the Christian patriarchy wants. She delights in these things. As a matter of fact, the, the world actually wants women to be selfish. Again, not just women. But the world wants women to be selfish. Selfish to pursue your own desires, which, by the way, ought to be masculine desires. But the excellent wife, the valiant wife, is anything but selfish. Don't miss this. Her contributions to the family, to the family economy, they actually give her the ability to, to to contribute to the good of society. Look at the imagery uh, contrasted in verses 19 and 20. Let me read those again. Verse 19 She puts her hands to the distaff and holds her hands, her hands hold the spindle. Clearly, weaving, making clothing, cloth. Verse 20 She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She grips the spindle that she may open her hand to the poor. Again, these are clearly figures of speech. This isn't saying, this isn't saying that women must learn how to sew so that they can make all their own clothes. <laughs> Don't really live in that kind of society anymore, for the most part. Saying that she works hard for the good of the family and even for the good of the broader community, the people around her. And I know that many many in this church do this. Many who are a part of RBC, um, Build your own small businesses. Several grow their own gardens. Create things to sell. Many in here are working inside and outside the home to teach your children how to work and build a heritage for your family. Some of you have given up careers in order to to homeschool your children. The list could go on and on and on. But we need to be careful because this is not at all limited to wives. Wives. We need to be careful that we're not doing all of this simply for the purpose of buying more stuff or for our own appetites, our own desires. Rather, we are doing this to build up the household of faith, our own households and the Lord's, the church. I mentioned a bit ago that this section is also structured as poetry. Let's go back to that thought for a moment. Because there's another poetic element to these verses that I want to point out. And it is the, um, the chiastic nature of verses 20 to 27. Uh, let me explain what that means. In, um, in literature, uh, a chiasm or a chiastic structure is when ideas are repeated in reverse order. So, for example, we might say, um, this is a really simple example. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Or or another example would be, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? (laughs) Thank you to the two of you who understood what that was. Sometimes in a chiastic structure, there's a central point right in the middle, um, right between the two mirrored statements, and that central point is the focal point. That's actually what we see here. So here's what I mean. Let me let me let's walk through this. Verses 20 and 26 are the outside points that are pointing at each other. They're shi- mirrors shining on each other and they give credibility toward one another. So read verse 20 says this. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 26, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs Sorry, that's 25. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She opens her hand to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Those things give credibility toward one another. Can you see the sort of mirror there? Her wise words inform the work of her hands, and her good deeds give credibility to her words. So even though the words aren't repeated, the ideas are. They're shining back on each other. So take it in a step. Verses 21 and 25. Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Both of those verses are are saying that she is confident and prepared for the future, no matter what it brings, even a snowstorm. Moving again, verse 22, then 24. 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. This is clearly connected with the other verses, 21 and 25. She's sewing and making things. And it explains the, the source of her confidence. Her family is taken care of, it is saying. The picture here is that she is prepared for the cold winter. So in this example, she has made blankets for herself and for her family. And she's also made some to sell. She she has generated a supplemental income needed for the off-season. Her home is protected and fortified. And that brings us to the center of the chiasm, which is verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates, and he sits among the elders of the land. The valiant wife, the excellent wife's accomplishments empower the husband to lead the community. That could be the church, could be the local government, it could be in business. This is an excellent and valiant wife, one who aspires to work alongside her husband for the glory of God and the good of the family. This is about the promotion of a godly legacy and heritage, and it's all summarized down in verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I'm going to tell you that this is the legacy of my own grandmother. Her name was Rachel Kidder. She retired as a fourth grade teacher, teaching in Concord, New Hampshire. As a teacher, she impacted hundreds or more children, families, all over. Concord is the capital of New Hampshire. She also helped my grandfather and my father in the running of their business, which was in her home. Frequently, she would step outside, no matter the weather, after teaching all day, to pump gas, to talk with customers. She always had a massive garden. She always kept the lawns perfect. She prepared the best meals, and I'm telling you, they were the best. She prepared the best meals, and she kept the plates hot when the men, Grandpa, Dad, and then for a little while, me, when we weren't able to come in until late at night because we were out plowing snow or dealing with a breakdown or frequently car accidents when Dad had his towing business. But most importantly, she loved... Jesus Christ, her faithful Savior. And she instilled that love in her children and especially in her grandchildren. She insisted that we read the Bible and go to church. And when she died, and I preached at her funeral at the Center Barnstead Christian Church, the church was packed with community members who knew her legacy very well. Because when she'd go out to pump their gas, we had a gas station. When she would go out to pump their gas, she would talk with them and just be kind. Sometimes she'd bring vegetables from the garden. When you got a thousand zucchini, you got to give them to somebody. And the community of Barnstead, New Hampshire, saw her kindness. And that legacy lived on. And really it starts to get at this final and important piece, and that is her praise. Her praise. Look at verses 28 to 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And this is what he says. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. A woman like this, a mother, a wife, a grandmother, she's praised by her children. She is praised by her husband. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. A woman who has worked for herself, who has forsaken motherhood and wifehood in order to pursue a career or to build a name for herself, What's her funeral like? Again, you could say the same thing for a man. What's her funeral like? What legacy does that woman leave? Who rises up and calls her blessed? But this woman, who has worked so hard for others, for her family, who has worked alongside her husband to build a household into a household of faith, She's given the credit she has earned, even by the community. Verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates, in the city gates. Above all, look at the end of verse 30. I think this is the most important verse in this passage. The woman who deserves the most praise is the one who fears the Lord. Verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But not this mom, not this wife. To be a homemaker, whether that means you work outside the home or not, that that actually is probably irrelevant But to be a homemaker is a high calling from the Lord. And it brings with it great responsibility and an even greater blessing. To be a godly homemaker is to be a woman worthy of praise. And it is a calling to which we should not discourage or work against. That's what the world is doing. Rather, we must encourage and promote this both to our sons and to our daughters for the glory of God and the good of His people. woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Pray with me. Lord, as we um, strive to build up our families, even as we pray, Lord, we pray regularly for more vans full of kids. We pray, Lord, for our pregnant moms. We pray as we think of the kids making noise in church. Lord, we rejoice, And we all know we would be nowhere without mom. Probably not even here yet today. And so Lord, we rejoice that you have brought so many godly women into our lives and into this church. Some with children and some without. Some married and some not. Who use their gifts to glorify God. Father, we pray for our daughters and our wives today, Lord. As as the men in this church, I pray for our daughters and our wives, our granddaughters. Father, that we would be a people who love your word so much that we would care for and protect our little girls. That we would bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That they might be godly, godly women who fear the Lord. That we might rise up and call them blessed. Father, we are blessed in this church because of the moms that you have given to us. I pray that we would not take these things for granted. And even as we come to the table, Lord, We know that all of this is because of the work of Christ. That even though it can be easy to just say, be a good mom, work hard, be a good dad, work hard, we're not just simply building a name for ourselves, but we are doing these things for the glory of God because of what you have done for us. And so we come with thankful hearts, Lord, that we are a part of the household of faith, because of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And so as we eat and drink and so proclaim his death until he returns, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to stand strong, to follow your word, and to keep our eyes set on our faithful Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.